Welcome to the RSCC podcast. Thanks for joining us today. My name's Adam and I'm on staff here at RSCC. Here at RSCC, we believe that you matter and that God loves you so much. If you want to know more about RSCC or to keep up with what's going on, follow us on social media at RSCC Family or visit our website at rsccfamily.org. We would love to connect with you. I hope you enjoy the message today. Well, good morning. How are you guys doing? Man, you guys are quite lively this morning, even though the rain, I was like, man, first service, well, the microphone didn't agree with me, first service, I'm going to blame it on whoever was here last week, they broke it, let's just point a finger, I don't know who it was, so they, but it's, you know, you know, it's always nice to point a finger that that it wasn't you, so not it, I didn't break it, but, um, so, I am a dad of three boys, I have a 16-year-old, a 14-year-old, and a 12-year-old. My oldest two have reached the point in life, and parents of teenagers or past teenagers, you understand this, that they now all think that they're bigger than I am. I'm not a big person to begin with, um, but they're all—they're—they're they're right about six feet tall, so we're, we're close to the same height now. I've got just a fraction on them, um, but I still know how to fight dirty. Or they don't. They're like, you know, and I find a pressure point, right? Dads know this. You know the secret because your dad used it on you where you thought I can take him. And then all of a sudden he finds a spot underneath or in your armpit. And you're like, I didn't know I could hurt like that. But I remember playing games with my, my boys when they were younger. I think probably the first game we all probably learned is hide and go seek, right? Hide and go seek. Parents, we use it a little bit sometimes to our advantage. Like, hey, you go hide and I'll come find you. Someday, maybe, maybe not. Maybe you just hide for a while. It'd be great. And what's funny is you fast forward now to being uh, grown-ups or teenagers, I guess we'll say. My, my boys were actually talking about this just yesterday. Uh, they had some friends over and they're like, let's play manhunt. And I'm like, oh, what's manhunt? Well, uh, they go hide and we go find them. And I was like, so hide and go seek? No, 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 no. it's different. Like, it's, it's cooler. And I was like, it's hide-and-go-seek. You just put a cool name on it. Whatever. They, they, they still play it. But, but I remember playing as a, as, a, as a parent of young kids. You send your kids off to hide. They get really excited. They go hide. And, and you go through the house. And, you know, you're like, oh, I'm coming to find you. And then, lo and behold, you walk into the room where they're hiding. And they're in the middle of the room with their eyes closed. Right? And you know what this is. You know what their thinking is because we've all been there. We've probably all said this phrase, but they think if I can't see you, what? You can't see me. And they think it's foolproof because it's like the cloak of invisibility. And as parents, it's laughable because you're like, okay, here we go. And as every one of my kids, as they all did this, they all did it. They all do it. They just go and they think, I can... I can hide in plain sight because they can't see me. Clearly, I'm invisible. But we laugh, but we, and, we always, and we all know like that's just not the way it works. But let's be honest, even as we grow up, we sometimes find this to be our mentality is I just want to hide in plain sight. I really don't want to be noticed. I don't want to be known. I don't want people to know what's going on inside of me and my head and my thoughts, and my feelings. Like, I'll be honest, I don't like to talk about feelings, period. 
I don't, I don't enjoy that. So I think a lot of us re resonate with this concept of hiding in plain sight. As a kid, we used to get away with it because we closed our eyes, but, but the reality is it's really not the case, but we're still playing the game. I want to walk you through an encounter in John chapter 4 that is deeply personal to me, and I'll share a little bit more as we go along. But, but in John chapter 4, this is a pretty powerful encounter. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. If not, we're going to have it here on the screen. But we're just going to walk through this, pull some stuff out, and just kind of discuss what Jesus is at work doing here, but also what that means for our life and how it kind of pertains to this concept of hiding in plain sight. In John chapter 4, Jesus has just come off and doing some ministry. He's traveling, and he's going to go through this area that's really kind of off limits. So John chapter four, we're going to start in verse five. It says this, it says, so he, Jesus, came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. So a couple things just to make note as we go through here. Jesus was Jewish, and Jewish, uh, the Jewish culture kind of had this thing of, we don't associate with Samaritans. They're dirty. They're unclean. And so these cultures didn't connect. They didn't cross over. Jews would actually travel out of their way to go around Samaria so that they didn't have to go in and associate with these people. But Jesus, in Scripture even says, he had to go through which is weird, right? There's already something that's a little bit weird here. And so that kind of that stands out to us. In the sixth hour, so the sixth hour would have been like the heat of the day. Now, in the desert culture, I, I lived in Vegas for about eight years, so I understand like the, the heat. It gets hot in the middle of the day. It's, it's the part of the day you don't want to be outside. Well, this is the time of day that Jesus arrives at the well, right? Midday, no one else is going to be out there because most people, if they're coming to the well, they're going to come in the morning because it's cooler, not in the heat of the day. Pick back up. Verse 7 says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now, just, just pause. A couple things. This lady shows up at the sixth hour. That's odd. It's weird because most women would have shown up in the early part of the day, again, because it was cooler. There would have been a lot of hustle and bustle at the well. It would have been a busy place. She avoids it. Now, my natural curiosity just goes to, well, why? Why did she avoid this? That seems weird to me. And so if you, you read a little bit ahead in the story, and we're going to get there and cover it in a few minutes, but I, I kind of want to give you this snapshot. This lady's had a hard life. She's had five marriages, and now she's living with a sixth man. Like she's experienced shame. She's been looked down upon because culturally that would have been like out of bounds. That would have not been looked favorably upon. She, she's faced exposure, right? She, she's been noticed. People know this about her. She's embarrassed of it. That's why she shows up in the middle of the day because she didn't want to see anybody. She doesn't want to have to face their glares. She doesn't want to have to people look judging on her. Now, I would, I would venture a guess in a room of this size, somebody in here can say, I understand that. I get that. I don't go certain places because I don't want to have to deal with certain things. I don't get around certain people because I don't want to have to hear certain things. I get it. I get it. 
Some of the other things that are at play here is, I told you, Jews and Samaritans, they didn't get along. They didn't associate with each other. But there's a couple things that play out here. When Jesus asked this woman for a drink. Now, and Jews and Samaritans, that would have been off limits. They wouldn't have talked. They wouldn't have, the Jews would not have drunk out of the same dish as a Samaritan. It was unclean. Now, a man would not ask a woman a question without her husband present. That was just cultural at that time. But you wouldn't deny a stranger a drink. So there's tension here. There's a lot of tension at play here. So let's go back. Verse 8 says, His disciples, Jesus' disciples, had gone on into town to buy food. So it was just Jesus and this woman. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Immediately she's like, I don't want to do this with you. Like, I don't, I don't want to have this conversation. I come here in the middle of the day for a reason, and it's to avoid people like you. I don't want to do this. So they go on for the next few verses, back and forth, where Jesus is really trying to lay out for her, Here's who I am. Like, I am. Now, here's the other thing. The Samaritan woman growing up in their culture, they would have understood prophecy. They would have understood there's a coming Messiah. He will come someday. She has this knowledge. So Jesus is trying to try to connect the dots for her of like, hey, there's a Messiah. I'm Jesus. Like, uh, this is coming. She begins to deflect. She deflects with sarcasm with cultural things, like all of this, just trying to avoid or trying to wrap up this conversation because she clearly does not want to have it. Again, I think some of us can relate. We, we, we are hesitant to show up at church because we're like, I really hope they don't talk about this today. I hope they don't talk about that today. I don't want to see these people because I don't want to have these questions, right? We, we know the routine. We get it. We understand it. We've been there. We avoid certain things, or to be honest, we really do want to hide in plain sight. I don't want to be noticed. I come in late so as not to be noticed. I leave early so as not to be noticed. Right? We can understand this. Let's pick back up verse 13. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, the water in the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, if you were just given that without context, you'd be like, that's weird. Who has water? That's like magic water. And to be honest, having been a desert dweller and lived in a place where there's not a lot of water, if somebody were to come along to me during that time and says, hey, I've got this bottle and if you drink this, you'll never need water again. I'm si sign me up. I'll take that. And she thinks the same thing. Right? Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Like, yes, please, because you're going to solve more than my thirst issues. You're going to make it so that I don't have to come here and deal with people. I don't have to do this all the time. Then fast forward a little bit here over the next few moments of the story. This is where Jesus begins to call out 
the stuff in her life. He says, hey, go, go, go get your husband and let's, let's carry on this conversation and begins to unpack her life right before her. He tells her, like, I, I know you're not married. You've had five husbands. And the guy you live with now is not your husband. I don't know about you, but I would not want to have this conversation with Jesus where he's like, hey, um, let me tell you about your sins and the brokenness in your life, the areas that you failed. I'm, I'm just going to put them on this screen, and we're just going to stand and watch it together. I would have gotten very uncomfortable at that moment in time at the well, but this is the moment where everything begins to shift for her. Because now all of a sudden it's gone from a guy who knows things to a guy who knows me. He sees me. And he's pointing some stuff out that I would rather not share and would definitely rather not talk about. But here we are. Now, I know this. You come to church and you hope that nobody makes, has, has an awkward conversation. You, you may have even think of this right now. You're like, gosh, this is, this is awkward and uncomfortable. Because the next thing we're going to do is we're just going to turn to our neighbor and we're going to confess our last sin. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Some of you are like, where's the exit? I'm leaving now. But sometimes we feel like that's what's going to happen when I show up at church. I don't want to go in there because someone's going to ask me about my latest sin. Someone's going to, you know, it's going to be uncomfortable. And that's what's happened with this lady. She's had this moment in time where everything is laid bare. Talk about exposed. And sometimes we feel like I don't want to do church or be around Christians because that's the feeling I get every single time I'm there or around them. But Jesus' conversation is not just simply about saying, let me tell you about what you've done wrong. That's not where this goes. That's not where this ends. And that's not where I'm going to leave it for us. So let's pick back up in verse 25. Verse 25, it says, the woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Remember, I told you, she knows prophecy. She understands that eventually this Messiah is coming. She's not picked up on yet that this is the Messiah that she's dealing with, that she's talking to. And so Jesus blows her mind in the next verse. Verse 26, she sa he says, Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. You've seen like the cartoons where it's like, like the mind is blown. That's the moment right here for her. Everything changes. Everything changes. And so, so for me, the, the, the reason this is deeply personal, and I'll unpack a little bit, I'll share a little bit of my story. So back in 2018, uh, I, I began dealing with something I really never saw coming. I started really having a hard time with fear and anxiety. And I remember thinking long before this ever came on, like I, I, mental health was never something I ever talked about. I never really understood. I, I just, I didn't have much of a concept of like, I remember even hearing people talk about like, oh, I just don't know who I am. I'm struggling. And I would thought, well, just figure it out. I just figured out that that doesn't even make sense. But I found myself com continually feeling like my world was falling apart. Like at any given moment, everything was going to crumble. And I 
I'll be honest. I felt like I was going crazy. I have never felt so helpless and hopeless in my entire life. I didn't know where it was coming from. I couldn't stop it. I constantly felt like it was piling on. So much so that it ultimately began to physically manifest itself in my life, like in my body. I started having breathing problems. Like I, I, thought, I, was, I thought I was sick. I thought something was wrong physically. And so I went to the doctor and they ran tests and they checked out, they checked my heart. So she leaves the room, she comes back with a paper and I'm thinking referral, all right, we're going to a specialist. Like we're gonna get to the root of this thing. Something's going on. She hands me this paper and she says, here's some breathing exercises. I was like, what are you talking about? Well, you, you need to you know, breathe and calm yourself down. And I was like, I don't need to calm down. Something's wrong with me. I remember leaving that day feeling completely defeated because I thought, this is all in my head. This confirms my suspicions. I am going crazy. I am literally going crazy. And so I was supposed to lead a mission trip to Cambodia in that window of time. So the day I'm supposed to leave and lead this team 8,000 miles from home for 10 days, I remember sitting on the couch and breaking down, like unconsolable breaking down. And I, I, don't, I, don't, I just didn't have words. It was at a point in my life I couldn't articulate what was going on. I just knew I had no control of it. So I sat there and I'm losing it. I'm like, I've got to figure this out because I have to go. Like I have to get on this plane. And it's the last thing I want to do. So, and my wife was beside herself because she, she didn't, she, she was like, I, I don't even know what to do for you. And I was like, I don't even know what to tell you. Something is wrong. So I, I, I composed myself. I showed up at the airport. We left on a plane. We're on the trip and I thought, okay, I'm doing a good job. I'm masking this pretty well. And I had somebody on the trip come and ask me like, hey, what's, What's wrong? Like, you're off. You're not you. And I, I had probably made an excuse or just whatever, tried to redirect. I thought I was doing fine. But the heart of it, I, I felt like I'm a pastor. I'm not supposed to struggle with stuff like this. I'm, I'm supposed to have it together. I'm, I'm here to help other people. That's, that's what I'm doing. And so again, pile now on shame. Pile now on embarrassment. And so when I came back from Cambodia, like I didn't talk about it at all. I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to address it. I didn't want anything, but I just felt completely helpless. And it just kept piling on. Every day, it felt like it got heavier and heavier and heavier. So you fast forward into the, the summer and we were on sabbatical. I, had a, I, was, I was gifted a three-month sabbatical and my family got to travel. We got to go spend some time in different places. And I remember sitting on a porch of a house we were at, and I was just coming unglued. And I just started writing things down, the thoughts that were going through my head. And, I, and I've, I've looked back on that journal many times since, and it is literally just a jumbled mess of things, of stuff I was writing. And I started writing down a bunch of, of Bible verses that were dealing with anxiety and fear and worry. I just started writing them down. And I, and I wrote a phrase down that said, he still cares. God, he still cares. But to be honest, I, I don't know that I actually believe that in that moment. Because I felt like if he cared, I wouldn't be dealing with this. This would not still be going on. 
And I remember the little bits that I talked about it and feeling like sometimes people would over-spiritualize what I was going through. They'd, they'd tell you things like, well, just, just pray about it more or just have more faith. And that's like telling somebody with a broken leg, well, just get up and walk. Just, you, you can do it. And I got so frustrated. And again, it made me go deeper into this because I didn't want to talk because I felt like nobody understands or they're just going to say something ridiculous to me. I didn't talk about it. So on July 31st, 2018, four years ago today, I had this moment in the middle of the night. I've never had one like it before and I haven't had one since. Well, I know people will often talk about, I had the Holy Spirit talk to me and speak to me. And, 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 and sometimes I used to think, oh, that's just crazy. That seems weird. But I remember in the middle of the night, snapped awake from dead asleep to wide awake with the phrase, so, so good, running through my mind. Not a phrase I would normally use, but it was almost like someone had turned on a TV in my mind and that phrase was the first thing to come and then right after it were all these images of everything that God had just recently done in my life. I mean, it was, it was like I was watching a movie and it just kept going. It went on for a good while, on just going and going and going. I was like, man, this is just a weird, weird moment. So I finally went back to sleep. The next morning I woke up and I got my journal out because I was like, I have to write this down. Like, this is so weird. I have to write this down. So as I'm writing it down, I wrote, I wrote down that phrase, so, so good. Because again, I was still like, what do, I, what do I do with this? And then I wrote down a second phrase. And it's, it's really like, as I was writing, these are moments like, I, don't, I wasn't really paying attention to what I was writing down. But the next phrase was this. It was, the prison you are in is the prison you have chosen. The prison you are in is the prison you have chosen. And I, I literally stopped as soon as I wrote that because, again, it was like one of those moments of, like, I don't know what I'm writing. It's just there. And I just sat and I looked at that. I was like, what? I know it's easy to all of a sudden go, like, oh, yeah, the prison you were in was your anxiety. It was your fear. Like, you were just consumed with this. No, it wasn't. That wasn't it. The prison I had chosen to live in was isolation. The anxiety and the fear were just the lies that I was hanging on to that were keeping me inside of the prison of isolation. Just, just, just keep it to yourself. Stay quiet. Don't tell anybody. They won't understand. They'll judge you. They'll think this about you. No one can help you. No one understands. If they, if they understood, they'd ask. And they didn't ask. They don't care. It was just this spiraling of lies. Because of the lies are what imprison us in isolation. They convince us that no one cares. No one understands. Now, we end up in this place for a variety of reasons and in a variety of ways, but, but some that come to the top of mind or some that I dealt with is your worth and your value are directly tied to your ability to provide, earn enough money. Men, this is a big deal for us. Right? I'm, I'm the man of the family. I'm supposed to do this. And all of a sudden, now I can't do this. And all of a sudden, I, I land up in this prison believing I'm not worthy. I'm not this. I'm not that. And so we isolate. We withdraw. 
Or, or maybe you, you, you are this. No one will understand, so I should remain silent. I shouldn't talk about this. Or no one should know this about me. It's best just to keep it a secret. A lot of times when we're dealing with an addiction or sin or some sort of a wound, we, we, we go with that lie. We, we just believe that. Well, no one should know. Nobody should know this. If I share this, then this will happen. Lies. No one cares or else they'd ask. This was a big one for me. That I had convinced myself that if people really cared about what I was dealing with, they'd ask me. And because they didn't ask me, then I should just keep it to myself. Well, guess what? They can't ask me because they don't know. Because I didn't tell them. But yet I was on the spiral cycle of believing that they would ask if they cared. Or sometimes we just believe like, it's my fault. If only I would have, then this wouldn't have happened. So this is on me. I, I caused this. This is my fault. And when these lies become our truth, we believe we can wage the war in isolation. We believe that we can fix it. If I just try harder, I can fix this. If I just work more at it, I can fix this. And you try to sort things out in the darkness of your own prison. But here's the truth. And this is a truth that's really hard for me because, again, I told you earlier, I don't like to talk about feelings. That's not something I normally do. But freedom is found in being known. Freedom is found in being known. It's when we lower our guard and we step out of isolation, when we raise our hand and we go, hey, I got stuff going on. I'm struggling. So go back to the woman's story. I told you, the encounter is this really interesting, like tense moment where Jesus encounters this woman. Again, we talked about the cultural part of this, but the part I want us to hone in on is this. He draws out her sin. He draws out what she's struggling with. He acknowledges it. He calls it out. But that's not the end of the story. The story doesn't end with Jesus going like, well, there you go. You're a sinner. It's clearly laid out. You have a ton of sin. All right, I'll see you later. That's not where the story ends. The story ends with him going, I want to offer you a new life. I want to offer you freedom. I want to offer you to get out from underneath the weight of all the stuff you've been trying to shoulder for all this time. That's what I want to give you. But he had to draw out from her all the things that she was carrying to help her understand what freedom really looked like. Because when we live in this prison of isolation, we live by ourselves, convinced that we can do it, and it's our responsibility to fix it. We don't understand what freedom even looks like. And so Jesus draws this out of her and then extends to her freedom. Water that will quench your thirst, that will solve all the problems. And so what does she do? She celebrates. She's ecstatic. She's excited. She goes running back into the community that has shunned her, that has judged her, and she tells them, you have to come meet this guy. Here's what she tells them. You have to come meet him. He just told me all the things that I've done. Now, I don't know about you, but if that was my first introduction to Jesus, I would be a little bit hesitant to go meet this guy. Is he going to tell everyone about all my stuff? 
But they followed her. They all come out. And so Jesus ends up spending time with them, teaching them and sharing with them about hope and forgiveness. Because the end of the story isn't just, let me point out the problem. Jesus says, I've got a solution. But you need to understand that there is a problem. But there's a path forward. So for me, I had to raise my hand and say, I've got a problem. I got stuff going on. This was not an easy journey for me. But a couple things I learned about this and learned along the way. The first one is this, was share. Share. Vulnerability is the fastest way to strength. Now, I know that's counterintuitive to us because the word vulnerable is a bad word. I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want to be seen as vulnerable. I do everything that I can to not be vulnerable. But the reality is vulnerability is the first step in reaching strength. Yeah, scripture tells us that, right? In my weakness, he is stronger. Not in my weakness, I am stronger. Or in my weakness, I get stronger. No, no, no. In my weakness, he is stronger. Again, we were never meant to do this alone. Even from the beginning in Genesis 1, God articulates all the way through the creation encounter in Genesis is this. He made Adam and he realized really quickly it wasn't good for man to be alone. So he creates Eve because it was good for them to be in partnership. They needed one another. We need other people. So trying to live in isolation is contrary to even how creation was set in motion. And here's another part of that I've heard before. You've probably heard this. If you could fix yourself, you would have done it by now. This was something I needed to hear. If you could have fixed yourself, you would have done it by now. No one's going to be like, oh, I just don't want to fix myself. I just want to keep living with this weight on my shoulders. I want to live underneath the weight of this. No. But the lies convince us that we can, that we should. But Scripture tells us, Jesus tells us, this encounter tells us, bring who you are right now, and I'll be your strength. I'll be your way forward. I'll be your way out. That's Jesus. That's not us. For those of you that are walking with people who are just navigating some rough times in their lives, who are struggling, may I charge you in this way, listen without judgment. Don't just look at them and say, just pray more. That's not helpful. Or just get it together. Or it can't be that bad. Or it could be worse. Those things don't help. All it does is confirm to that person their suspicion of, I should have just stayed quiet. They don't understand. We're called to hurt with people who hurt. To step into people's mess and walk with them forward and through it. So may that be our approach when we see those around us having a hard time. May we meet them in the midst of their hard time and just walk with them. Second thing I learned was surrender. Surrender. Get help and offer help. Right? Response time matters. The longer you sit with these lies hovering over your head and living in isolation, the harder it is to get out because those lies continue to convince us that they are our truth. But here's the truth. You are never too far gone or beyond help. 
but you have to be willing to ask for it. Now, I try to do this on a daily basis as a reminder of my role versus God's role. And actually, I was re-reminded of this back in March. I was in an event, and I had a, a, a pastor who, very wise, and navigated a lot of things. And we were talking through stuff, and I was just, just talking about just different challenges. And he just reminded me, hey, surrender. You're not in charge, and you don't need to be. Let God do what God does, and you just follow his steps. I need to be reminded of that on a daily basis because when I lost sight of that, I ended up buried underneath the weight of things I was never meant to carry. God shines strongest in our weakness. The third thing is this, is surround. Surround. Meet with Jesus, be with Jesus. Now, I know that sometimes this can be one of the most abstract things that we say in church. Well, be with Jesus, meet with Jesus. And we go like, I don't even know what that means. I don't know how to do that. Because I don't see Jesus in the physical form to like go sit and talk with him because that would be very helpful. That would be so helpful. But, but let me give you something very practical that you can do. We, Christ followers, if you say I'm a Christ follower, you embody God's heart for his people. We embody God's heart for his people. So those of you that find yourself struggling, my encouragement to you would be get close to those who are close to God. Because those are the people that are going to be in tune with the heart of the Father, exemplifying the heart of the Father. They're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus as they walk in tandem with Jesus those are the people you need to be spending some time with. Allow them to speak into your life. Spend time with them. Learn from them. Ask them questions. Again, it's what we hear through Scripture. Follow me as I follow, follow Christ. Get to know those people. Not, not for their sake, not for, for who they are, but for how they represent Jesus, for how they show him. It's in relationships like these that we begin to understand the character and the nature of Christ. We begin to understand, like, I don't have to do this alone. Believe it or not, there's a lot of people that have probably walked your same story that can now turn around and walk with you through it, that can help you understand what it looks like to take the next step. Because I think one of the hardest things living in isolation is the fact you don't even know what the next step is, let alone how to take it. But when you walk close to those who walk close to Christ, the steps get a little bit clearer and a little bit easier. And maybe it's just you need to start a relationship with Jesus. You've never done that. Talk to Adam. Talk to your elders. Talk to your volunteers here at church. Let them help you start that journey. Because you were never meant to do this alone. You're not even equipped to do this by yourself. That's where Jesus comes in. So let me land with this. Understand this. It's okay to not be okay. But Jesus adores you too much to leave you that way. It's not where he wants you to be. And there's a powerful truth that we often miss in this encounter because we just feel like, oh, this is a really cool encounter with Jesus and this woman. And she, she reached, he reached her and then they reached the village. But, but it's this. Jesus goes in pursuit of people. 
Jesus, Scripture says he had to go through. He ended up at this well at midday for a reason, not on accident. Jesus never encountered anybody on accident. It was always on purpose because this encounter meant something. It had to happen because the transformation that took place in her ultimately led to the transformation that took place in her community and beyond. This wasn't random. My encouragement for you this week is that you would open your eyes up to see where Jesus is intersecting with your life because he is. It happens on a regular basis. It's in conversations with people you know. It's in a book you read. It's in, it's in a song that you hear. It's, it's all over the place. But may you have eyes to see and ears to hear the message and the words of Christ this week trying to grab your attention because he is in pursuit of you. And may you be willing to just, just take that step to say, hey, I, I need to get out from underneath this because I'm tired of trying to bear the weight of something I was never meant to carry. Here's what I'll finish for you. It's this. These are the reminders and the encouragement for you today. You have a savior looking for you. You have others longing to know you. You have freedom offered to you. So lay it down, be known, and allow Jesus to stand in the gaps. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the fact that in your word, you show us what it means to have strength. And you help us to understand that strength isn't something that we can create, cultivate, or come up with on our own. So God, I pray that you would give us some boldness and courage to just reach out to somebody and say, hey, I'm, I'm having a hard time. I'm struggling. I need some help. I could use some encouragement. And God, on the other side, may you begin to raise up people who are stepping into some of those messy places and those difficult places to bring hope, to bring encouragement, to bring your words, to bring your actions, to bring your encouragement. And may you begin to bring just a season of healing, hope, and restoration that people can begin to get out from underneath the weight of all the stuff that they carry around because life's hard sometimes. So God, I ask that you would begin to just give us the courage to take the steps towards healing and wholeness. God, may we be encouraged by the fact that you come in pursuit of us, that you're not waiting for us to just show up somewhere, but you're always there. And may we realize it this week. Be very real to us. Make yourself known. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining in with us today. We hope that you were blessed by this message and that you were drawn deeper in faith with Jesus. If you have any questions or want to continue the conversation, please feel free to email us at info at rsccfamily.org. Thanks for the listen and have a great day.